Welcome everybody to today's podcast. I'm very excited to have Oliver Prill, CEO of Tide, joining us. He's going to share his entrepreneurial knowledge and insights with us. Just before I bring him on to say hello to you all, I just want to say, you know our mission here is to help 10 million people start a business of their own and make sure no one feels alone doing it. If anyone has any business question, we will find the answer for you. If you need anything to help your business start or grow, reach out to us via thepurposefulproject.com and we will help you. Right now, thanks to Tide, we have a fantastic competition running where you can win £25,000 to start or grow your business. I know myself how valuable that sort of money is when you're building a business. And if you want to get that money, all you have to do is go to tide.co forward slash be your own boss and sign up for an account. I actually did it yesterday. It took me nine and a half minutes to sign up. And I'm in with a chance, I believe, to win £25,000. I don't think I'm allowed to win. But you definitely are allowed to win. Go sign up today. In addition, we've also teamed up with TikTok, Intuitive QuickBooks, and GoCardless to bring you an additional £10,000 to start and grow your business, plus mentorship from 12 of the world's most successful entrepreneurs. In addition to not only mentorship and capital, TikTok, my organization, will market your business, support your growth, and document your story. So if you'd like to win any of those prizes, then go to the hashtag be your own boss, which is trending on TikTok right now, and simply submit a 30 second video telling us what you're doing and how we can help. And on the 7th of July, we will pick a winner. So that's the promotional stuff over with. Let's get to the knowledge. I'm really excited for my next guest to come up and share his knowledge with us. So let me welcome him on stage. Oliver, welcome. How are you? Thank you for having me. Really, really well. Really looking forward to our talk. Well, yeah, I've, I've, I've been reading about your incredible journey and, and what you've managed to do at Tide. It's really inspiring. It's such a, an incredible organization aligned with my values where you do basically want to help entrepreneurs in every way you can. But I think maybe we could start off by uh, maybe you tell the audience a little bit about yourself, your background, and, 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 and for those that don't know you, what you're doing. Yeah, so you have the great pleasure of being the CEO of Tide. We'll talk about Tide a little bit more, but it's the biggest business banking platform in, in the UK. We have 6%, so 6% of all SMEs, so 350,000 are there. Uh, you know, as a company, we have the values very much aligned with what you said, so we call them member first. So if you're, if you're part of Tide, you're a member, and we really believe that uh, doing that, and that really motivates me. And you asked about my background. So I've been in, in finance and uh, um, uh, banking in some form or shape for most of my life, so almost 25 years. And, uh, you know, often I have to say, you know, we, we were sort of doing things where you said, were we really on the side of the SME? And uh, so, you know, I, I did wonderful things like uh, um, uh, very early on, build, run businesses at RBS, built and sold my own bank in Germany. Uh, before I sort of landed at Tide, and really, what makes very things very different at Tide, and what really you know uh, um, makes made the difference for me there is that we're really on the side of the business. So yes, we're a commercial enterprise, but we fundamentally believe doing the right thing for members will make us in the in the long run successful. So that I find that personally very motivational. And I, I can see it in the way that uh, the business operates, um, just from the user interface of being able to sign up so easily for an account straight off the bat, you can see that you thought about 
the people that are setting up businesses or have businesses just have no time. You know, we, we have no time to set up an account sometimes. So, you know, the fact that you've made it so easy is, 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 is of course, a very key part of what you offer. But um, but it, it makes a big difference, I think, to entrepreneurs that we don't want to get bogged down with all the paperwork. Look, to kick things off, I wondered if you could share some of your knowledge and maybe by starting off by telling us what does success mean to you? Yeah, I think that this is a really, really important question, right? And I think uh, before going into business, that's the one I think to really, really ask oneself because, you know, being an entrepreneur, you have to often self-motivate. So for me, it's to have meaningful impact, right? So yes, sure, we all like to be commercially successful, make money, you know, maybe be known for things. But to me, the thing that really motivates me is when I get feedback, you know, messages on LinkedIn or elsewhere of how tight has change people's lives you know that's, that's like a little anecdote uh, you said about we're making things easy we learned very early on when people start out they only need don't only need a bank account they also need to for, uh, form their business right so we started company formations we're now actually the biggest company formation agent in the uk one in 20 companies get formed to us and through us and i get got a lot of messages where people were saying look oliver really thankful that tide helped me right it was so easy otherwise i would have never taken the step into entrepreneurship it was so easy to set up the account and open the business and it's that sort of feedback in the end that i find most motivating and most rewarding more than anything else you, you mentioned there that you um you opened up your own bag originally i mean it feels like Starting a business in banking is so hard. For anyone listening, maybe they want to be your competition one day. You know, how, how do you even begin to build a bank? How, how does it, how, where's, what's the first step? Well, what honestly, probably this, yeah, it, it, it's actually a really good question. And I think uh, um, uh, um, you probably have to completely zoom out and say, are banks actually so different? I think one of the reasons why banking has been so incredibly broken in the UK and elsewhere has been that people look at banks as this very different animal, right? And people have sort of forgotten, right, with all, you know, they think of compliance and regulatory capital and all of that, right? Which is, that's, of course, part of it. But really at the heart of it, doing a business, you need to really ask, who is your customer? What is the problem you're trying to solve for them? You know, how can you serve them better than the competition? Be, you know, differentiate yourself. And my sense is a lot of banks have actually forgotten that, right? Maybe because they've existed for hundreds of years, but even, you know, even some of the more modern ones, you sometimes ask, you know, what is really your core purpose? So I would start always with the same thing, right? I mean, what is, what is the problem you're actually trying to solve for whom? Um, and then, you know, in the end, a bank is just another business. Okay, it has this regulatory angle attached to it, but... But otherwise, it should be just be thought of as a business as any other. Now, you, you've been in business a long time. I, I don't want to say you're old because that would, that would, that would, that's, that's not what I think. <laughs> yeah, go, go ahead, Simon. <laughs> <laughs> but you've, you've got a lot, maybe the better way, but you've had a lot of experience. But I mean, you must have had some pretty hard times at moments in, 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 in your business career. Is there any moment that stands out and, and, and how did you get through it? Because a lot of our listeners I know are struggling right now. A lot of people are struggling with their businesses and, and, and it's been a very, very unusual time for everybody, really. But, you know, how, how do you get through those hard times? How have you got through those hard times? Yeah, so I think that there are a couple of things, right? There is how do you psychologically, mental health-wise get through it, right? And then how do you substantially get through it? So on the mental health, I think the biggest advice I've got is on negative cognitive biases, right? So, so we all know this. There's one bit of bad news in the day, and we think the whole day was bad right and so someone told me a very simple trick just go in every evening when you have that thought 
think of the three great things that happened that day that you're grateful for. And it, it just, this is just your mental health. You just, it opens up a completely different perspective on the, you know, on, on the day and how to perceive things. Um, so I think that's that's the one on how to sort of mentally help with it. And I wouldn't underestimate it. Often entrepreneurship is a pretty lonely thing. In the beginning, you may literally be on your own, right? And later on, even if you've got many employees, someone I know you're, you're a serial entrepreneur yourself, you're often at the top, it can be very lonely, right? And so, you know, I think this mental health, I would say really work on it. Don't be ashamed of it. Um, you know, really work on it and get the right advice for you. Read up on it. There's great resources and so on. And then substantively, right, if there's a real issue, you know, I've learned very early on that, you know, panicking and just uh, uh, generally being frustrated about rarely does any good, right? It's really the best thing to do is to say, what is actually is the problem? You know, what is the data around it? What are the options for solving it? And then, then you move on. And, you know, if the option is sometimes in entrepreneurship, it means that the business model didn't work, right? And then I think there is, a, there is an advantage of failing fast. You cut your losses, no false pride about it. It just didn't work. You tried your best. Um, if it is about, you know, your cost structure being wrong, your product being strong, don't blame the customers or anything like that. But going, the customer is always right. How can I actually take this? as positive feedback, right? I mean, by the way, and you asked about some lessons. So I've learned this thing where early on in my career, right, um, I was at a large UK bank, you can look it up, and there was this theory, you put a business case forward and it would be perfectly delivered. Now, after 25 years of being in business, I know any business case that you put forward will never be delivered exactly as it is, right? And maybe there will always be deviations. And so things like looking at it, you know, assuming coming in with the assumption you need to tweak things, uh, is very, very important and not to be frustrated. So that's what I would say on the substantive side, um, uh, you know, very important lessons there for me. And that's how I get through it. Some, some great points there. I don't want my audience to miss any of them. Uh, but I, I, I really like the, um, the counterbalance point about, you know, if you have one negative thing happen in a day, and I think every single entrepreneur listening uh, has probably had one negative thing happened to them today that keeps playing on their mind. Even while they're listening to us, they're probably thinking about that one thing that went wrong. And I love the counterbalance of three things that went well. Make sure you do that. And I, I, I also follow a similar philosophy. I think I, I think I tried to find five, uh, but you know, <laughs> I, I, even better. <laughs> even better yeah it's not always easy to find five but uh, but it's a really it's a really good thing and i think the other thing you're saying you know my translation of it is um the strongest people ask for advice the strongest people in the world ask for help and i and i always try to tell people that when they're asking for help you know that's a strong thing to do is it it's sometimes you know it, it's it's not easy asking for help but if you do it you know you muster up the courage and and the entrepreneurial community is very very strong we've all been there pretty much any problem anyone's listening they've got right now we've all had at some point or it, we've all experienced these problems as entrepreneurs so you can reach out and i love your point around that you know and then the final thing i really like um you're saying there as well like you mentioned data solving using data to solve problems i think that's not done enough either sometimes people try to do everything you know almost almost uh, emotionally uh, but looking at the data and solving problems is a pretty interesting way to do it and so another great tip i was wondering what you think about and you mentioned here a little bit about um, failure and failure fast. When is something, a lot of people ask us, am I, am I failing and it's never going to work and I should fail fast? Or is it failing but not working yet type failing? When, when, what's the difference between failing and it's not working yet? Yeah, I think that's, that's a really, really, really good question, right? Um, and so I think it starts actually with the thing that we call at Tide, no false pride, right? And what we mean by false pride is you've... Something was the right view yesterday, some new data arose, and you need to change path, 
it is completely right to change, right? There should be no false pride. This is what I said yesterday. one doesn't want to be flippant, right? On random, you know, go on a random journey. But if some new data comes, you adjust to it. And then I would say in terms of your thing, you know, your question of when do I fail fundamentally? The, 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 fir the first bit is you should try to figure out the fundamental questions early, right? And there are concepts that we call MVP, minimum viable products. Try to shoe-leg it, trust, try to get some critical data on the things that are vital to your business model. I mean, usually these are things, can I acquire a customer at a reasonable expense and will they, will they be willing to pay for my product? Often the mistake people make is they will go by far too far down into the journey um, and, uh, um, you know, they don't, you know, they, they don't get that insight early enough and therefore they spend a lot of resources. So we try to launch things early, get feedback and we go in with the assumption, no false pride, to that we then adjust things. Now, when you adjust things on the data, you will know very quickly, is this a tweak or are our customers telling us they just don't want this product, right? Um, and then, you know, at some stage, it is completely fine to cut your losses, right? To just say that. Now, often that's a judgment. Uh, that data can give you some sort of insight. And Simon, this is where I think the mentorship comes in. What I've really learned, I got probably most out of it, is really experienced mentors that have been around the block right, that you can relate to, that you look up to, right, that you respect, that give you advice. So like a decision on failing or taking a decision to close your business and so on, I would always look to get some sort of validation of speaking to a mentor, and it doesn't need to be a formal mentor, but just someone you trust to have good judgment that can help you look at data and say, is you know, am I reading this right? Uh, I just... Uh, oh. All great advice. I, I think the um, I always check with my wife. Actually, I know you know I check with my partner in life. You know whoever that is for you. I I find that they always have my best interests at heart too. So they're really often quite um, you know it's quite quite. You know, but yeah, before I've ever closed anything, and I've had a few failures myself. You know, it's always good to have, as you say, someone you can trust to go and talk to. On the question of mentors, because this 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 gets asked of us a lot. What do you think the best way is to go about getting a mentor? A lot of people want a mentor. What's your advice around getting a mentor? Yeah, so first of all, I think, Simon, so, this is for organizations like yourself and others, I think a huge opportunity to facilitate that, right? Because I think you're right that there's sort of different levels of mentors, and I'm also not convinced whether it's almost one mentor. So I have the same, you know, pr very privileged like yourself to have a, a wife who I trust a lot, but, you know, she's clearly got a certain level of experience and so on and certain, uh, you know, a certain perspective. And so she's in many ways, yes, my mentor. Um, uh, there may be other very specific things. So if you know if you open a restaurant, right? Just you know there is value. You know there is value in getting someone that has built a successful restaurant business before, right? And um, you know if you have problems with fundraising and you know you need to just think of how do I do all of that, there may be a, you know even a different type of mentor. So there may be different mentors for different things. I'm not suggesting to get a, a whole, you know, a huge set, but I'm just saying you know it may not just be one. And then especially on the professional advice, so the example of another, you know, restaurant owner and so on, I think that's often not done enough. And I think, Simon, if I look at the great thing you're building here, you know, I would encourage a lot of entrepreneurs saying that they've really made it because my, I speak to a lot of entrepreneurs, but they often, they're very proud. They're very willing to share their insight, right? They don't want money for it. They, in, in part, it's they get satisfaction from being able to pass on that knowledge. And often they find it hard to finding mentees, right? So people they can mentor and clearly the other way around. And I think if we can, as a society, find a way of, 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 of 
introducing people, I think that would really, really help. Yes, yeah, it's actually one of the reasons I started this platform because I, I mean, I meet every single day of my life, you know, entrepreneurs that have done well, have knowledge, and they're more than willing to share that knowledge. But like you say, ironically, quite often, um, have, they, they don't have the time. They don't necessarily have lots of spare time. They don't have time to arrange, uh, you know, to, to meet someone they can mentor. Uh, so ironically, the other side of the equation, when people are looking for mentors, there's lots of people that are looking to also give mentorship. But equally, I also think your point's very valid. And I don't want the audience to p miss it, is uh, on the point of, you, you don't have to go looking for a mentor. You might find that, you know, someone in your family can be your mentor. You might find that someone, you know, down the, the high street you live on could be your mentor that's doing well in a business. And I also think it's very relevant what you're saying around go to a sector specific mentor. I think that's really actually overlooked. Sometimes when people are looking for a mentor, maybe they're looking at someone famous um, but they might not necessarily have the exact uh, insight into into your business model. And so I actually had a restaurant business that failed. So I know what you just said is exact examples too. I never went and spoke to someone who had actually run a restaurant before. I did speak to a lot of people that had done a lot of other businesses, um, but I missed that trick. So I wish I'd uh, interviewed you uh, 15 years ago and, and learned <laughs> that. It's a very good point. So do you think do you think entrepreneurs are born or bred? Yeah, this is a good question. And often people do say, you know, entrepreneurs are a breed apart. I mean, I think in my mind, there are sort of three sort of type, you know, if I was a, it would be three types of entrepreneurs. There are truly those that are born entrepreneurs, right? You just know them from a very early day or early year on, they, they age on, they really wanted to build a business, they've done it, you know, they were very entrepreneurial in their youth, they've gone through. And so, yes, I do believe there's a, you know, there's a born entrepreneur. There, I think then there are those that had life-changing events, right? So that learned to be an entrepreneur. Sometimes, honestly, it has to be pushed. Like people may have faced redundancy. The job may have been gone. And they said, look, now I take this opportunity to get into it. Uh, you know, sometimes they've built up a certain amount of wealth, right? And they said, look, now, you know, I want to be my own boss, right? So I think that's really where entrepreneurship, in a way, is learned. And then I feel with the, serial, the, the third type, which is sort of maybe in the middle of the two, which is the serial entrepreneur. Right, they that sort of early on had a career, they built a business, and they just moved on to business, moved on to business, moved on to business. So I see these three types broadly. Um, by the way, if you ask me who's the best best entrepreneur, I'm actually not sure whether it is uh, you know one is better than the other. I think they're just different paths to entrepreneurship, all of them extremely valid, and they just mean you know the different life patterns. And I think one of the things post pandemic, just to to say that. I think there will be a fourth typology, um, you know, type coming, which is the part-time entrepreneur. So I think what we've learned very, very much, I think, in uh, in, uh, in, uh, in in the, in the pandemic is we will no longer have fixed office, right? Offices and most jobs will be much more flexible. I think people have also re reflected that rather than spending time in commuting and other things, they might be other, want to do other, th you know, things on the side. Some people are very, uh, you know, motivated by entrepreneurialism, maybe financially need to. And so I think this part-time entrepreneur is probably a fourth type that that's sort of coming, you know, uh, coming our way very fast. I mean, they exist to a degree today, but I think that would be a, a very significant trend down the road. No, it's, uh, I mean, I guess side hustle is becoming such a, you know, a, a, term, a new terminology that everyone uses. And uh, um, we, I, I find that the, I've, I'm actually a part-time entrepreneur today. You can, you know, you can be a full-time entrepreneur at one point, a part-time one. I, I, I spend three days of my week looking after my son, 
I spent the other three days a week running the Purposeful Project. And then we have one day a week family time before anyone asks what happens to that other day. Um, but it, it, it is, it is, uh, it is a, a different type of entrepreneurship, but it gives you a chance to focus on something you love. Um, and in my case, two things I love, my business and my son. And I think I do, I, but I agree with you. I think there's a whole, in fact, I was speaking to someone uh, very senior at Google this morning uh, who was talking about how they their full-time job is Google and they've got a part-time entrepreneur gig uh, running uh, a, a, a couple of really amazing um, give back uh, businesses. And the great thing about Google actually is that they're, they're willing to, um, they actually support that. They do an 80-20 rule, which I think is interesting, right? Where they actually encourage their employees to to do that. But I, I agree. I'd love to see the rise of part-time entrepreneurship. And I think it gives people access to a whole whole new world. But um, but I feel like for your for your career, look, again, just going back, did, did you always have this entrepreneurial uh, be in your bonnet is this something did, did you were your parents entrepreneurs how did you how did you end up being so entrepreneurial yourself <laughs> no my parents actually no it's actually family of very unentrepreneurial you know so uh, uh family um i'm probably in the in the second you know category that's sort of in the in the career have learned so when you know i started you know university until then very unentrepreneurial you know started consulting early on and then i realized as i went through I actually just like the doing, right? So I was really consulting, really did it for me, where I learned, where we gave loads of advice. And I couldn't do it. And I realized actually the thing I really love is to do, right? To to see and have impact. And so I, I you know, I learned this a little bit later, so my my early twenties. Um, uh, but you know, I think once the one thing is actually very interesting. I think people that once they're really exposed to true entrepreneurialism find it very hard to get back. So if you ask me, would I ever want to go back to a large corporate or something like that? I just could not see myself do that, right? And so I think you know that that would be an interesting statistic actually. But I would guess there's in many ways many more people going into it than going out of entrepreneurship. Um, purely because once you have that freedom and you have the great experience of making things happen, uh, it is just very, very hard to then translate that back into a you know very regimented uh, working pattern that is unfortunately still around in many, many, many larger businesses. But I, I noticed because um, for my audience listening, I'm 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 presently working with Tide. You know for full transparency it's probably obvious because up on the screen i'm telling you we, we've got a competition running right with them right now but I'm, I'm i've got to know the tide team and it feels like i'm working with a group of entrepreneurs and that's something for people listening um i know one person just made a comment they've got a, a 200 people company um, and they want to make that company more entrepreneurial what, what what's 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 allowed you to make tide so entrepreneurial how, how have you managed to create that culture the culture is such a big yeah. thing in business how have you how have you done that so, you know, we actually hire a lot for it, right? So we like, you know, people with initiatives. We give people a lot of autonomy, right? We let people get on. So we have, this, we have this notion. And this, I think, we're partly, it's entrepreneurship, but also it merges into a whole problem of leadership and how do you lead larger teams. So we have this notion at Tide that we call the, the, the sort of the example of speedboats. So we, we hire captains of little speedboats. We set guardrails, right? So the speedboats don't bump into one another as they, they, they fly. But we give people a lot of freedom in the company and uh, to do things within the guardrails. And the issue is a little bit it's self-selecting sign, right? So if you're very much used to very regimented work, you know, being told what you have to do, you probably would find Tide quite scary. So often the feedback we get is, good God, I have a lot of, you know, <laughs> you, you, I can do all of this. Who do I have to ask? Well, I said, no one, just do it, right? Um, 
Um, and so it's a little bit self-selecting, right? At Tide, we attract people, that people are, we are attractive to people that like to get on with doing things, right? Uh, uh, so, you know, it is in that sense quite inter entrepreneurial. Um, we are completely outcome, maybe that's another one, we're very outcome focused. So we try not to regiment, uh, you know, inputs, uh, you know, in it. So we find, for example, this whole debate over being very rigid about working from home and so on, a bit bizarre, right? Because for us, it's always, you know, if you do your job well, why would it matter, right, where you work, right? So that's in the in principle, our attitude. So I think as long as you have some, you know, that's what we try to do, have systems and structures. Now, in all fairness, Tide now is almost 700 people, right? So we, we're getting quite large. But I presume you can do that already as, a, as an entrepreneur on a smaller scale. And I think the judgment there is always to make, you know, how quickly can you let go and how quickly should you let go, right? And I, I think that, that's often what I see young entrepreneurs or early entrepreneurs, not necessarily young by age, but early in their entrepreneurship, people struggling with. It's uh, it's 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 really refreshing to see the the, the customer first approach and, and and the way you're building. I think it, it is for a lot of people listening. I, I'm hoping a, a, an inspiration to see how a new type of business can be built in an old industry. Because there's, there's people always think people always. I know a lot of our listeners tell us that oh, you know, everything's already done already. You know, what could I do? What could I do? And and here you are um, reinventing banking. You know, one of the oldest institutions that everyone thinks has already been done, right? So it, it's, it, it's there's always there's always chance to innovate, right? How do, how do you innovate in a, in today's world? What do you think the secret to innovation is? So I think that the key is to solve a problem, right? And you know, there must be a fundamental need. And then I have a great analogy that I sort of stole from Steve Jobs, right? It's then because you have to ask, as soon as you see the problem, you know, the classic answer is do customer research. And now I tell you the problem. So Steve Jobs has this great analogy. I hope I'm getting it right, where he said, um, if you ask people, right, what they wanted to be transported faster, they would have said, breed faster horses, right? And you would have never built the Model T. And I think this is this is the problem a little bit. So you need to start with the customer and the problem. But to be innovative, you have to ask customers what Apple does, I think, for example, extremely well. What are their pain points, not what solution they want? Because most customers will not come up with the innovative solution, right? But they will come up with the pain point that they have. But it's then for you and your creative team to come up with a solution, right? I think that's, that's sort of principle number one. So we try to be very careful about being very customer driven in terms of the problems and what are the pain points. But we, are, we then do more validatory research once we, ha once we have a solution rather than ask customers for the solution they want. Because otherwise we would never build something innovative or not that innovative. The second thing is that often innovative um, in innovation has this notion of doing everything different. It's actually not doing everything different. And we are actually very disciplined. So we say on things where we don't need or want to be different, plagiarize. So like your restaurant example, like if you don't, you know, like there are certain things that people tried for a couple of hundred years, you're not going to innovate on that dimension. Just learn from the best and let it run, right? Don't be very selective of where you're different, but then where you want to be different, a different type of food, maybe in that example, a different way of ordering or whatever, you, you, you know, you're, 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 the, 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 the differentiation you have, relentlessly invest in that point of differentiation, right? So those are probably the two pieces of advice I would give. I would definitely not subscribe to the thing that innovation is done with, um, um, it is actually, I would actually argue, the way to, I think of a change, it's like 
there's always a new hill on the horizon, right? And once you climb the hill, only then do you see the next hill, right? There's never an end to this. It just it gets, it's an endless game. And I have to laugh when I read articles on LinkedIn and elsewhere about the end game. There is no end game, right? Because there will never be an end. Um, where probably unless someone presses the button, but let's hope that doesn't happen. Otherwise, <laughs> right? And there will always well, be a new horizon. A station in this podcast. That's the first. We, we just hopefully that never <laughs> Definitely, yeah. No, I know. I know. There's no end game. I think that's a that's a, a Simon Sinek uh, is one of my favourite speakers. He's uh, he's talking about the in, infinite game, right? We're basically exactly that. There, there is no end. There's just there's just a permanent, consistent uh, evolution for the ones that succeed. That's how you have to think, right? If you think there's an end game, then you, then you lose. The other thing you've just said there that I really love, which you know you, you don't hear enough from uh um I, I think leading business figures like yourself which is you know sometimes it's all right to copy you know like it's, it, i think that's really important a lot of people think i don't you know you can't copy everything is really a copy of something else you know friendster myspace was a copy of friendster facebook was a copy of myspace you know and so on and so forth all of these businesses are really copies they're just better executed or done in, like to your point they invested in a particular unique selling point that made them scale and grow but you know innovation isn't necessarily invent reinventing the wheel right i mean copying is a really powerful thing actually and i and i i think a lot of people who are listening want to start a business sometimes like i started an agency business called fluid i i just copied someone else's model i didn't copy their business exactly but i copied their model they helped people start businesses so i helped people start business i just did it better than them and and there's yeah. nothing wrong with that right that, that's good Absolutely. for the consumer that's competition right so it, but it's also really it allows you to focus on your strength see that i think the big thing that we, we we noticed is if you try to be innovative on everything the customer doesn't reward it right because they want a point of differentiation but also your team your resources and any enter entrepreneur in particular, in particular at the beginning of the entrepreneurial journey is very resource constrained right so you actually invest in a lot of change right uh, that actually has very little makes very little difference in the end right because it's not the real point of differentiation so always think of this usp uh, then relentlessly invest in that and everything else you know i would keep pretty pretty constant from those that have spent gazillions of pounds learning it over many many years right? do you think um looking objectively at how successful tide has been do, do you think luck played a part in in that that rise so I th what is luck right i think if luck is a little bit around the right time yes so we were definitely at the right time um i think for the rest of it yes things came together right but i would also say it came together because there were great people and by the way not just me i mean there were many 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 great leaders at tide that made things happen and so in that sense, we were very, you know, the definition of luck is where we able to hire them, where they're in the place in the right time, did the right, did the right action, yes. But I don't believe in this thing of, I mean, probably there they are some random examples, but I generally don't believe in it. You, you succeed by luck or by, by, uh, by being unlucky. It can happen, right? Like a law gets changed and suddenly your business model doesn't work, right? Or, you know, I don't know, lightning struck your home or something, you know, whatever. It, 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 these sorts of things can, can happen, but generally it's not about luck. It's really about, you know, wet towel around the head, getting all the advice, do something you love so you're self-motivated, think things through, um, 
don't be disheartened, right? Be determined around things, hire the right staff. And I think that that is it. Uh, and often that builds successful. I think there is a thing then around, uh, you know, a luck phase and how quickly do these things come into play? So are you in the right time? So for example, is Amazon that innovative? Maybe not, right? But Jeff Bezos was there at the right time. He drove it relentlessly. He was very, he made some very good bets, uh, you know, on it. He put great people in charge. And so I wouldn't put it down purely to, to luck, but there was definitely an element on timing. Right? I, I bring this up because um, a lot of people, uh, when we, 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 we showcase a lot of successful people, and people, oh, they were lucky, they were lucky, they were lucky. And, it, it, and it's an interesting phenomenon, luck in general. I mean, my, 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 uh, my research on this shows that luck is actually broken into two parts. You've got 2% of your life, which is this random luck. Let's call it where you're born. You know, there's nothing you can do about that. And that can make a huge difference in your life, right? We all know that. And uh, But that's only about 2% of your life, those sort of random lucks. The rest is influenced by you. So, for example, of really free elements, the amount of risk you take increases your chances of luck. Uh, the amount of persistence you have um, and knowing your destination. You know, knowing yeah. what you're trying to achieve. Um, I think those three things are 98% of uh, their influence that make, make more luck happen to your point, right? Yeah, and then, by the way, if that's, you know, success is equivalent to, to, to luck in that definition, then I'm, I'm completely with you, right? I think what I was trying to say, exactly what you said, maybe with the exception of the 2%, um, you know, you can influence it. And I think what people should not be disheartened about, it's sometimes tough, right? Because also when things don't run so well, human nature is to blame it on some external event, like whatever, right? I was unlucky, it happened, this or that. You know, as an entrepreneur, we have the beauty of being answerable to no one, right, other than ourselves and, you know, our, our, our dream. And in part, I would almost say exactly what you say, like, what can I do to influence, right, the outcome? Really focus on that. If you have setbacks, think about how could I do it better, rather than sort of focus on what you call the 2%, right, that, that you just cannot influence. Um, um, uh, so completely with that, so it makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, I, I think it's a it's a subject that's difficult to talk about. But, um, I, I do like to bring it up because I think that for a lot of people listening, you know, I know they find that they they're, they're looking for that lucky break, and sometimes um, there is no lucky break. It's it literally small things doing what you know, one working hard, uh, yes, but you know, thinking about your destination and and being persistent. And like you said quite rightly as well, doing something you love. This is so overlooked. You know, people are always trying to fill a market gap, but they're not doing what they love. So you know, turning your hobby into a business, for example, makes total sense to me. I'd invest in that every day of the week. Someone that actually loves doing it every day is, is easier to follow yeah, through. Exactly, right? and you, yeah, exactly. And you, it gives you positive energy, right? So look, the, the one thing that's clear, like entrepreneurialism is not a straight road, right? It is, it, it's a tough journey in many ways, right? Whatever people tell you and you, you know, that's the single best thing you can influence. If you do something you inherently believe in, it gives you positive energy that sort of allows you to go on that journey rather than dreading what you're doing. And then you have all the other challenges on top, right? So, um, you know, uh, absolutely. I would actually, I would actually say, you know, I would go as far when, when people ask me, you know, um, how do you enjoy your said so the day I would no longer enjoy the job. I mean, it's like, doesn't matter how much I pay, how successful things are. It is really about doing what you love because it is, you know, that's where I get all the motivation and the energy from to 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 address the challenges that are there every day, right? And so, um, no, absolutely, I think it's a very insightful point. Yeah. Well, look, um, I'm conscious that um, 
uh, you, you've got a business to run. I, th- I think you're, you're, you're uh, we've got a few listeners in India as well. You're, open, you're opened up in India now, right? You're, you're, you've got a global expansion yeah. in play. Yes, yeah, so we're, we're um, just opening up. Uh, we're just, uh, it's still in alpha, so it's not public yet. Uh, but right. watch the space. Soon on the website, you will be able to register if you're an Indian business to say, look, once we launch publicly that you can go. To. Very excited. I'm not going to give a given time. Start, don't get me going on India. There's just such a huge <laughs> opportunity there. Uh, by the way, also for British entrepreneurs running with India, maybe that's another discussion we can have um, yeah. at some stage. But I think it's, it's, it's a fantastic country. We're very excited by, by being able to support Indian entrepreneurs as well. I, I actually launched a business in India called Devashard. It was um, based on a story called the Mahabharata, uh, a comic book series, and uh, I absolutely loved it. I learned so much. I spent quite a few years in and out of India uh, learning about it. So, but anyway, maybe when um, I don't know if we almost got an exclusive there, did we, about what's happening with Titan? <laughs> but um, yeah, look, I, I really appreciate you taking time out of your your busy day and sharing your knowledge with us it's been an absolute pleasure i guess i'll just end um if you went back to your younger self uh, and gave some advice uh, what would it be and that's the that's the one minute question so i'm not sure i would just say on the topic of entrepreneurship um don't wait for too long i think probably i waited too long to go on the entrepreneurial journey because i was afraid of various other things uh, i think don't be afraid to fail as a matter of fact, it's a lot easier before you have kids and before you do uh, things. So, you know, if you believe in it, I think especially today with employers, it doesn't matter if there was a business that that didn't work out. People, you can signal entrepreneurial, uh, you know, spirit and on the, and many employers are starting to look at that. So I think that's probably the one advice I would give. Uh, I would have probably started on the entrepreneurial journey a lot earlier if uh, if I had, had had that advice in a, in a different time. Maybe that's your definition of luck. Ah. No, but it's uh yeah. I was I was going to add on to luck. Point, you know, sometimes if you have bad luck, I I, I sadly um I I lost my father when I was fifteen years old, um and and that was an awful piece of luck, you know, um, and I miss him very much. But but equally, he gave me a gift at the same time because I I um I, I went and started the business uh, three weeks later because I, I wanted to support uh my my I guess my new existence without my father and and I wanted and I and I started young because he didn't he started late in life and had a heart attack because it stressed him out uh, so so I think you know bad luck can be um in a weird way uh, good luck in disguise uh, and and in addition um because of my own personal story what you just said really resonates with me I think I'm so glad I started young because you can make a lot of mistakes when you're young um, and, and the more, you know, the younger you are, the more mistakes you can make. Uh, so it's good. And, and I think, um, such great advice. And so, um, but look, again, I thank you for your, for your time. I thank you for sharing your knowledge. I really love every element you've talked about today. The three great things that have happened to you today, folks, if you're listening, go write them down. Don't worry about that one thing that's gone bad. Um, you know, as I said, strong people ask for help. So, um, I love the whole no false pride piece you made fail fast always love that and your mentor might actually be sitting right next to you and you don't realize it so oliver thank you for taking time out to share your insights with us today thank you for having me simon great conversation really enjoyed it okay folks that's it i hope you found today's uh, podcast useful and interesting if you want to win twenty-five thousand pounds i can't even believe i'm saying it. you just want to get twenty-five thousand pounds to start your business will help you grow your existing business and all you have to do is take 10 minutes out and go and sign up for a tide account which you should have anyway i did it yesterday it's awesome they've already given loads of free help to me and i'm i know what i'm doing and i still find their help useful so guys go check it out go sign up 
you've got to believe you can win it. Don't don't be skeptical thinking you won't be the one that wins it. You might be. Just try. I have personally invested in 69 startups. The ones that have succeeded, I've noticed, were always optimists, the people that believe they could win. So you've got to believe you can win, so go and try. In addition, don't forget, we're partnered with TikTok right now. We're the number one trending hashtag on there with over 200 million views. Be your own boss. So clearly a lot of you want to be, go on there, make a video, tell us what you're up to and how we can help. And we'll make sure that people will mentor you, will promote you on TikTok and will support your business ambitions and growth. So that's it, folks. Thanks so much for listening. Have a wonderful, wonderful afternoon.